For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. Today, my guest was in pro wrestling for over 30 years. He was... He's won numerous tag team titles with legends like Roger Kirby and Nelson Royal. He was also an announcer for a number of promotions for over 20 years. In 1995, he opened a wrestling school and trained well-known wrestlers such as Matt Stryker, Shark Boy, Charlie Haas, Nigel McGuinness, J.V. Noble, and Umaga, to name just a few. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Les Thatcher. Les, thank you for coming on Bumps and Thumps today. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem, Brian. Always a pleasure to, to talk wrestling. Uh, can I just encapsulate all those 30s and 20s? And uh, Actually, I'm in my 61st year in this goofy business. Oh, now. Wow. So actually starting in my, my, my 62nd. I, yeah, I was... My first pro match was July the 4th, 1960. I was 19 years old. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. July yeah, it's, 4th, it's America's birthday. How was that for you? How was your first match? What was that like for you? Uh, wow. It was, ex- you know, it was exciting. Um, it was, uh, it was a whole different time, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, Actually, I'd started my. I'd moved to Boston in February of 1960. I'd uh, started training with Tony Santos there, and uh, had my first match July the fourth, 1960. And most young guys today are uh, look at me like they think I'm nuts when I say, and they smartened me up to the business on July the fourth, 1960. In other words, nobody smartened me up the <laughs> the first six months. And, you know, well, it was a closed shop. Yeah. And thank God. And they weren't going to smarten you up until they were sure you're going to stick. My, uh, I, I had been a competitive athlete since I was seven year old, baseball, mm-hmm. football, basketball, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but when I got to Boston in February uh, to start training to be a professional wrestler, they tested me. And they basically handed me my, my ass for the first couple of weeks just to see if I was going to stick around. And, and I did, of course. And so uh, here we are, 61 years and a little uh, little change later. Yeah. That's great. I didn't realize you were still active in it. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. You know, we today, you know, in the wrestling world, it's, it's a whole different, like you said, uh, business than it was when you started. And uh, I'm glad to hear that 
uh, wrestlers like yourself are still active in it and can teach or mentor uh, these younger wrestlers uh, on the on the ways of the of how to be a wrestler, which is probably tough to do because I know they. I've heard. I don't know if this is true or not. That uh, they basically train them for a few months, or not even that, maybe, and and throw them in there, and it's kind of a revolving door. I don't know if that's true or not. But well, there, you know, to, to start with, there, there, uh, where I trained with Tony Santos in 1960, that was the first ever professional wrestling school. Mm-hmm. Or or camp period okay. that was ever advertised because it was a, you know a closed shop yeah. and he was he ever, I actually found him uh, he advertised in Wrestling Review magazine they they'd done a story mm-hmm. that this guy in Boston was you know ex, uh, helping young athletes who aspired to be professional wrestlers et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. so I had been beating myself uh, you know. Uh, beat my head against the wall trying to find a, a way in to the business, and I saw that you know article in the magazine, so I wrote them a letter and uh, you know made the trip to yeah. bought, move to Boston and and t- to get my start. Now today there are places they will call wrestling schools on virtually every street corner. Yeah, uh, most of them are bogus. Yeah, uh, truthfully, there's there's a handful of guys that I would trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a good athlete. And, of course, you know, having some natural talent and, and being able to adjust to what professional wrestling is is part of the deal, too. Right. But uh, I think the hardest thing for trainers today is kids coming in, think, what's well, all show? It's acting. Yeah. It's this, it's that. They think everything but what it actually is. Yeah. And the, the, the foundation, mm-hmm. uh, the fundamentals haven't changed at all in 61 right. years, and they shouldn't change in the next 61. Right. Basics are the basics, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's tougher. Uh, and, and a lot of things with the young kids that come in today. Now, you mentioned 95. I actually started – well, I trained guys when I was wrestling in the business. People like okay. uh, Bill White, J.J. Uh, Dillon, Scott Casey, uh, oh. you know, say that I had something to do with their uh, growth within the industry. But – I actually started training guys uh, in 91, and, okay. uh, you know, it was different then yeah. as, you know, as it is now. I mean, uh, it was, I was more strict then. When mm-hmm. I say strict, if you were training with us, then uh, you didn't bring your kids, your family, your neighbors to watch. It was still, in, in terms of learning the business, it was still a closed shop. Today, yeah. that's not the case. And so today you get a lot of uh, traffic, you know, in terms of warm bodies, but you, you know, and, and there's not that many that actually end up with a good grip on the business and, and, and able to, uh, to achieve their dream basically. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, that you say that it's, it's, uh, it's crazy world out there. And you say these wrestling schools around the, on every corner and you're right there's only a few that are actually uh legit um and they're hard to find because uh you know there's a lot of advertisements for them and and you want to get the best training if you're paying that i mean people some schools charge three four thousand dollars uh to to go to their their training camp and you want to get the most out of your money and sometimes it, it you know it don't 
They don't get what they should. So. Well, the thing of it is, I think that every any aspiring young athlete that's interested needs to realize one thing: there isn't a time frame. I know uh, our train our trainings uh, last twelve weeks, our training last eight weeks, our training last however, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's maybe how long you will have a person in your particular school. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean when they when you turn them loose at twelve weeks that they're mm-hmm. ready to be out there. Because right. everyone learns, well, Brian, you have a driver's license. I have a driver's license. Did we mm-hmm. both learn to drive in the same amount of time? My guess would be no. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so you can't look at a guy and say, okay, in 12 weeks you'll be a wrestler. You can look yeah. at him and say, you look like a good athlete. You look like this. Because you realize professional wrestling is unique unto itself. I right. mean, I have worked with uh, athletes that have, one, you know, scholarships and uh, letters at SEC schools and Big Ten schools and, uh, you know, professional uh, bodybuilders, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you can still be a wrestler because right. that's some of the best performers. Well, you mentioned Nigel McGinnis. Uh, Nigel had no other athletic experience when he came yeah. to me out of college, yet he yeah. did turn into one hell of a worker. And I use that word sparingly in in the year 2021 as well, because there aren't a lot of workers. There's a lot of acrobats, a lot of play, a lot of gimmicks, but worker Mm -hmm. is special. Yeah. And which it always has been. But then Mm -hmm. there were a lot more of those uh, 40, 50 years ago than there are now. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, You know, today I watch it uh, not as much as I used to, but. Uh, there's a few out there that still you can see the workers, but you're you're right, uh, and that's just because of the business. That's what the business has driven them into doing the gimmick, a whatever. Yeah, it's it's the the thought now is it may not be broke, but let's fix it anyway. Right, and it never has <laughs> been broke, to be quite frank with you. If no. you know how to draw a crowd, mm-hmm. uh, you, well, let's let's use movies as an example. Okay. A movie that won uh, Best Dramatic Film, <clears throat> excuse me, my sinus has been drained, uh, won Best Dramatic Film Academy Award 1950. Mm-hmm. And a film that won Best Dramatic Award uh, Academy Award in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basics, the foundation of those two dramatic movies is will be virtually the same. Now, mm-hmm. over that year period of time, uh, technologies change, verbiage changes, costuming changes, et cetera, et cetera. But the foundation for building that movie in 50 is the same as building that movie in this year. Yeah. And yeah. wrestling should be, if you're training people properly, exactly the same as I just described those movies. Yeah. No, I, that's a good, uh, analogy of that. I, I, you got some good, you got some good analogy. I will say that, uh, that's very interesting. Let's talk about you. Uh, you grew up in Ohio, from what right. I've read. Uh, what was your childhood like for you? Oh, I had a great childhood. I, uh, uh, my mother and father. Uh, I, I think I won the lottery, Brian, on, yeah. on mothers and fathers. Yeah, they were supportive. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they were children of the Great Depression. My dad had to quit school in the ninth grade to help support his family. Mm-hmm. and was managing an uh, automotive repair shop at the time he was 16. My mother finished school. 
she was basically the athlete if there was an of of the of the couple uh mm-hmm. she played basketball in high school but uh i had a you know i had a wonderful childhood uh in my teen years if you've seen the movies american graffiti and if you watched mm-hmm. happy days that was yeah. my that was my uh, hot rods and drive-in restaurants and uh you know it was uh i had a great childhood and yeah. uh in the midwest and in, in, in a middle class family uh athlete you know i like I say i played all the all the ball sports uh got i was driving race cars by the time i was 15 years old my dad oh, and wow. i had yeah i was uh actually driving on a racetrack before i had a driver's license to drive on the street <laughs> but so yeah it's sort of an adrenaline junkie i never thought of it in those terms you know back then but yeah i, yeah. I guess that was it to a degree and I actually loved drag racing uh Virtually as much as I did wrestling, and yeah. uh, continued to follow racing even if, at, once I'd started my wrestling career. But then at some mm-hmm. point there had to be a make up your mind thing. You know, it's either yeah. one or the other. So it it, it became wrestling. But yeah, um, yeah great childhood. Uh, you know, uh, actually got hooked on wrestling. I was I, nine or ten years old. Actually, it was mm-hmm. with the neighbors uh, on their uh, ten inch black and white screen. It was the first time I saw a professional wrestling match, and I was just really intrigued and uh, became, uh, you know, became a fan. Mom and Dad, well, back then, you know, wrestling was big on television. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're sim- seeing a similar boom currently, uh, but probably like back, back then, all these companies won't be around in five years, right. or at least they won't be as prominent. Yeah. But uh, so... Yeah, I, I uh, my, what little amateur wrestling I could get was had to be in the YMCA's because uh, the uh, public school systems, uh, the high schools mm-hmm. in Cincinnati at that point had no wrestling programs. Okay. So uh, I had, you know, I had some amateur uh, experience, but it was like I say at the YMCA's, yeah. and uh, you know, but then going to Boston was a, was a big deal, mm-hmm. and uh, it was. Uh, Wow, just it just it was a, a exciting time for a nineteen year old kid. Yeah, uh, who who trained you? Uh, well, as in Boston, Tony Santos was a promoter. Okay, uh, but actually, he had uh, his son. Who the crazy thing is, Gene uh, Gene Santos, mm-hmm. who wrestled as Gene Dundee, uh, Flash Monroe uh, was another name that he used. Gene was one of the trainers, mm-hmm. although he had never had a pro match at the time, but he grew up around the business, right. and he basically over, maybe oversaw the, uh, the, the school. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, you know, uh, Ronnie Hill, uh, Kurt Douglas, uh, these were pros, old pro, uh, Bull Montana, these guys would come in. And uh, so we had, a, 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 you know, several guys that would come in and, and take part. Yeah. But um, Gene was there all the time, and uh, actually, a crazy thing is, his first match in front of a live crowd, I had with him a year after I started in the business. Oh wow! Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, and and they didn't. When I said they didn't smarten us up, they yeah. did not. Yeah. They never told us it was. Never told me it was a work until the morning of July the fourth of that year of sixty. Okay. Um, but how they tried to teach us to work without telling us it was a work was, 
they'd say, well, you and Charlie uh, go through the holes, switches, uh, but now, look, you're not getting paid. Nobody's going to be a winner or a loser. We're just going through the motion. So put, like, put a top wrist lock on, put a hammer lock on, put a headlock, but don't apply pressure. Right. So basically they were teaching us how to work. I wish we could teach some of these kids how to work today because mm-hmm. they're stiffer than boards. But, that's, <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, Jim yeah. Cornette said there were a lot of tough guys years ago, mm-hmm. but they never hurt each other because they knew how to work. It was yeah. an art. Yeah. Today, there's a lot of skinny kids who beat the hell out of one another. Yeah. But they're not, tough, you know, and, and think it's cool. Yeah. But, you know, it was, uh, yeah, the great, you know, when I say I've, I've wrestled Harley Race, Danny Hodge, Pat O'Connor, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, people like that, these guys were t- tremendously tough, Yeah, you know, great wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Never felt them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. The, the deal with us, it was like convince the people that bought the tickets. They can't feel a thing. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, Bret, Bret Hart says that no matter how many stars the fans may give to a match, four stars, five stars, whatever, mm-hmm. if somebody got hurt, then it wasn't a good match, you know? Yeah. And and that was the stance in. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, the art, as I as, as I learned it and, and as it should be uh, yeah. practiced, isn't much anymore, sadly enough. Yeah, well, you're not the first uh, person that I've had uh, say that. Uh, you are, you're growing, and I hope they change that because, you know, some of these guys, uh, you know, I've seen some um, articles and things where people get hurt, and it's not, and it's generally by the same person over and over again, and. I would think it'd be difficult to work with the person, but uh, if they're drawing money, I guess it's kind of brushed off I, to the I, side. If you're, if you're talking about the same person, I probably think you, which has been in high profile in yep. the news because of that lately. Yep. I don't know that she's ever drawn a dime. Okay. Um, and yeah, she's she's obviously dangerous, and and something should be done about it. Yeah, which doesn't mean that she somebody needs to hurt her, right? But she needs to be back in that performance center, learning how not to hurt people, her opponents. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Yeah, you're you're thinking the same person I am. So yeah. Um, so after you got started in the business, I'm sure you developed some relationships when you were driving or, or flying or. What was that like? Your travel experiences from one place to another. Uh, I've heard well, where it, I've heard where it, people it, talk about their matches, or you get that knowledge from those experienced guys. Is that what you absolutely. had? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know that uh, it, a lot of times the ride in the car to a show or from a show mm-hmm. was part of the education because you you, you know we had veterans mm-hmm. uh, to work with. That's that's the other thing. A lot of these kids today. It's the blind leading the blind. In other words, you turn a guy, this kid's just fresh from wrestling school, and the guy he's wrestling may be as well, which, well, they're they're out of wrestling school, but it doesn't mean they know everything or that they know a lot. It's this is a learning experience. Realize when I started in the business 61 years ago, Mm -hmm. we were wrestling five, six nights a week. Right. And the old-timers told you then, hey, it's going to take you five years to figure this out and to really get it and understand 
what it is we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now these kids today on the independence maybe wrestle once a month, twice a month, yeah, uh, three times. That's not every week. That's a month. Yeah. So how long is it going to take? And yet, there, this gener, the young generation is cocky enough to think they know. They don't. Yeah. It's, I mean, everybody again. Everybody learns at a different pace, but right. to really understand this business, it takes more. And again, I don't. You know, my school when I had when I had my place in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. what you your fee was good for six months, and we trained those people four times a week. Yeah. Uh, and and you need to be in the ring, and I tell young independents that too. Mm-hmm. You need to find a ring and be in it at least three or four times a week. If you can, even if it's not to work in front of a crowd, but just to run through matches mm-hmm. with your friends or, or somebody else in the business, you, yeah. because you can't learn timing. You can't get ring wind any place but in a ring, and you can't learn your timing and execution of things without doing it. It becomes it's a business of uh, repetition. It's yeah. learning to re- to react. Not yeah. to stop and if you have to stop and think about it, which I see a lot of these kids do now, because they try to plan everything in the back, mm-hmm. which is quite utterly ridiculous. But they do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, part of that is because I know WWE because they have twelve thousand cameras. They want to know where everybody's going to be at every second. Mm-hmm. But that's not the art of yeah. working. Yeah. You know, if you and I are having a three fall match and we're going to go fifty minutes. Mm-hmm. Then we need to know the finish of each fall, yeah. which may take a total of six minutes, and the other forty-four we better be able to create on the fly. Yeah, yeah. I uh, again, you're not the first person I've had on this podcast to to say that. I believe that's a lost art. I believe not just in wrestling, but uh, a lot of other sports like baseball. I mean, I worked in baseball for a few years after I retired from the military, uh, and I was just a security manager, but I would hear that these guys are, are basically spoon-fed everything, and they don't have to really think about nothing or create anything because it's all there for them. So they can't get creative. Like when you when you came, in my opinion, when you come up in wrestling, and even into the eighties, even into the early nineties, it was all basically you come up with the finish, and everything else was you called it during the match. Is call that on my, the fly, right? On the fly, yeah, right? Sure. And and that creative aspect, I believe, is what's really missing from. And well, now you know from uh, there are good coaches that make their their trainees learn to call uh when i had my school Mm -hmm. everyone that came out of there knew how to call a match on the fly now Mm -hmm. if they change that you know here's the other thing too brian this is a business and i tell kids look i'm gonna i'm gonna teach you the proper foundation the proper basics to to become Mm -hmm. a professional wrestler and and help you grow as long as you know we have some sort of connection but if somebody offers you uh, a seven-figure uh, guarantee a year to act a fool. Forget everything I taught you and act a fool. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, it's a business. Yeah. When I tell you I don't like a particular character, there's a chance I don't know that person, right. but I know the character and I don't like it. That's yeah. all. It's not personal, right? right. It's, uh, you know, if, if, if Brian is 
pretending to be, I don't know, a gas station attendant. I thought, damn, that's a stupid gimmick. Well, you don't like Brian? I don't know Brian, but I hate that. You know, it's the character well, he's trying to play is yeah. nonsense, and I don't like it. So, yeah. you know, but, but that's the other thing, too. You mentioned gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, gimmicks got over better in our day. Yeah. And for the simple reason is everybody didn't have one. When right. when Dusty passed away, you know, some of the young guys that I knew would say, well, you, you were there when he was at the top of his game. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, and we'd talk about it. And I said, but, you know, the one thing, they'll talk about his charisma and his promos. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, the one thing that helped Dusty immensely to get over that you don't even think about, you guys, what's that? <clears throat> he was the only Dusty Rhodes on the, in the business. There yeah. weren't 10,000 of them. And right. everybody around him wasn't a gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The the expression over and over and over and over that I've heard for 61 years is less is more. And that's less with two S's, not one, yeah. not my name, <laughs> but with two. Uh, and it's true. Yeah. Example, are you married, Brian? I am. Very All happily. Right. Remember the first time you saw your wife naked? Of course you do. Yeah. Do you remember the 300th time? Don't bother to answer me, Brian, because your answer is the same as my answer. The answer is no, Yeah. because it, you became complacent with that. Yeah. I give you 10,000 dives every show, 10,000 false finishes. I yeah. kick out of your finish. You kick out of my finish. I kick, then how the hell is it a finish, and what's the value of it? Yeah. So much that I see in the ring now and is public masturbation. It's guys entertaining themselves. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> I like it. Uh, it oh. is. I mean, yeah, no, you're I, right. I, you're right. <laughs> this this spot is so cool. I want to do it three times. Well, you yeah. freaking idiot! If you know how to do it and the proper time to do it, you will elicit a great response. Yeah. But just doing it to be doing it, does it fit in context? Look. A good wrestling match is like good sex, begins with foreplay and builds to a climax. Yeah. And I watch a lot of these young guys and think they've never had good sex either. They obviously <laughs> don't know what. <laughs> Maybe you should be teaching that instead of wrestling. I don't know. <laughs> but but you get my point, right? Oh yeah, you you got some good analogies. I will I will say that definitely. Let's talk about your, uh, you know, you teamed with some uh, well-known legends, Roger Kirby, Nelson Royal, just name a few. What uh, chemistry with wrestlers? I mean, who do you think, in your opinion, was your best opponent uh, that you just had that click, that it factor with? That oh you just... wow! You know what? I I I I don't know. I've I've worked with so many t- talented wrestlers. Yeah. And learn from, I mean, um, my God, I can go back early in my career, uh, because, uh, Ripper Roy Collins, mm-hmm. who probably m- most modern day fans wouldn't even know who the hell I'm talking about, yeah. but what a great leader and a great 1963, we were in a show in Iowa somewhere. And, um, Roy and I had a three fall match and it, and it was, it, he called the whole thing because I was still, still in the learning process. But right. we we were tearing the house down. It was just great. So we get we're going back to the dressing room, and Pat O'Connor, who was one of the owners of the territory, along with Bob Geigel, uh, and uh, 
was on the card as well. Pat was the main event. And so as we get to the back is where Roy and, uh, Roy and I are both, we're, it's a long hallway. Normally the wrestlers aren't together back in 1963, but in this particular instance we were. So as we, as we walk into the main dressing room, Pat's there, you know, waiting for the intermission to be over. And he says to Roy, how the hell do you expect anybody to follow that? And Roy said, if you can't follow it, maybe you should go on before it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, he just said that to one of the owners and a former world champion, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be fired tomorrow. But it was there, you know. Uh, yeah. That, that, you know, you have those nights. I've worked with some Ken Lucas, who's another name you probably have never heard uh, one of the best workers I've ever locked up with have had him as tag team partner. Flair, in his book, mentions that Kenny was one of the best men he ever worked with, and yet yeah. Kenny is not a... There were a lot of great workers in the 60s yeah. and 70s because you had to know how to work. Yeah. Today, you know how to you know how to be a bad comedian or be a an acrobat, which has nothing to do with working in terms right. of professional wrestling, right? Yeah. And so there were so many great guys back there. Talk about chemistry with partners. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a sarcastic sense of humor. I mentioned, right, you mentioned Kirby and, and, and Nelly. Yeah. Uh, I tell people, I train the, the future uh, junior heavyweight champions of the world because they both mm-hmm. were after we were partners, right? Of course, I had nothing <laughs> to do with them becoming <laughs> champions, but yeah. that's a But I, you know, I. I, I've always been a contender as, as a yeah. junior heavyweight during my uh, in-ring career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, which I was sad. I mean, I, I wasn't tall enough or I just didn't have that, that it factor. But mm-hmm. of the junior heavyweight, I've wrestled Matsuda, Hodge, mm-hmm. Mantel, Kirby, Royal. Uh, am I missing anybody? I don't think so. Uh, five of the world champions over my 20-year in, in, in-ring career. So, yeah. um, you know, it, I, it was, I, I have had an amazing life in the wrestling business. It's had its ups and downs. Uh, yeah. It's not so good now uh, yeah. for whatever reason. But, yeah, I look back and, uh, you know, I think I gave a lot. I think I did a yeah. lot to, to positive things in the business, mm-hmm. but I also feel that I've, I've – you know, it's not it's not a job if you enjoy going doing it all the time. Right. And, and and truthfully, I'm you know at this point in my life, I still want to be involved. I you know I'm mm-hmm. I believe me, I'm not going to wrestle, but I'm, I'm you know I can still <laughs> teach, yeah. I can st- you know uh, broadcasting whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I, I make I've made a joke out of it for a number of years. I keep saying, you know, I'll probably be doing something wrestling related when I die. And and the closer I get to that, I'm thinking. I'm now I'm hoping I'll be doing something wrestling yeah. related because it's been my life, you know. Yeah. I want to tell you uh you know, you you don't I don't think you give yourself enough credit and I don't think uh people that watch wrestling in the 70s and 80s uh I don't you know, they know who you are and I you know, I found you because I knew who you were and when I once I actually read some of your your bio and and found some information on you i you are very to me underrated as a pro wrestler all-time great and i, I want to tell you that and uh, i appreciate you for what you've done for this business because your credentials are, are just amazing and I, I i think it's underappreciated and i want to tell you that i want to thank you for what you've done for this business 
Well, I appreciate and, that. And I'm not and saying that just because you're on my podcast, or, uh, <laughs> but I, I really mean that. And, and you know, I appreciate Well, you know what? I'll be candid with you. I, I have never been a great self-promoter. Yeah. This is true. I'll be the first to admit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in recent years, as you get older mm-hmm. and start thinking, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll say what's on my mind. Right. Yes, I feel I have contributed, mm-hmm. and I feel that I've the one thing I haven't accomplished is to get a Hall of Fame ring. And I do believe that's oh. overdue, and oh, yeah. I believe that I've earned it. Oh, yeah. So, Definitely. You know? You know, the Pro but, Wrestling yeah, Hall well, of Fame, you know, they should be calling you right now, telling you to get down there and... and get that well uh, you know while we're talking about that just briefly mm-hmm. um you know which well start at, at, at current as a trainer mm-hmm. <clears throat> you mentioned a handful of the guys and i've my my fingerprints on a lot of the guys oh and, yeah and currently drew gulak adam cole to you know besides the guys you named and yeah uh anyway and some of the my drills that i've concocted for wrestling mm-hmm. are used in the Pro Arms Center, OVW, mm-hmm. Rudy Gonzalez, Tom Pritchard, top trainers in the world use my stuff. Yep. Okay. Uh, the first wrestling t-shirt ever on the market was put out in 1972 by three guys named Jack and Jerry Briscoe and Les Thatcher. Artwork by Jerry the King Larb. Whose idea? Mine. Wow, and, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's interesting, see? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we put out, well, I, you know, the idea at, at that time realized in the 60s when T-shirts started being any other color but white, yeah. and all, most of them have concerts or writing and everything. Mm-hmm. So in the early 70s, it just crossed my mind, and I mentioned it to several promoters, and they weren't interested. And uh, Jack and Jerry and I were sitting around mm-hmm. uh, Jerry's apartment in Charlotte and just having a couple of beers and just talking in general. And mm-hmm. I brought up. Uh, my frustration that I thought T-shirts would sell. And, and Jack said, well, why don't we do it? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, why don't three of us, we'll all kick in and we'll do T-shirts. And we did. Yeah. So that's how that's... the industry got started. Uh, I had a, uh, I changed the look of wrestling magazines with uh, the Crockett's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put out the only NWA full-color magazine Okay. In 1975 or 76, whichever, uh, with uh, Terry Funk, who's a world champion at the time, on the mm-hmm. cover. That was uh, done out of the Crockett office. I did five issues of a similar magazine for WWWF, uh, okay. Vince Jr. That was uh, at the same time. And then I did Crockett's Mid-Atlantic. No one was doing artist-rendered uh, theme covers. We did. Mm-hmm. No one is doing centerfolds. We did. Yeah. Full color. We did. Wow. Uh, and so forth and so on. And, uh, yeah, and then television, we're right here where I'm living currently in Knoxville, mm-hmm. when Ron Fuller bought this territory in 1974. Okay. Um, he called me and he said, I just bought the Knoxville territory where I had, I had been one of the top baby faces here in the, mm-hmm. in the late 60s and early 70s anyway. So anyway, he said, I know nothing about television. I want you to come in and develop me a TV show. You have carte blanche to, you know, just make sure it makes sense. Yeah. So instant replay, split screen, a, person, a sit-down, low-key, pre-taped interview in the middle of your show, I had people telling me it won't work. 
everybody does it now. Yeah. And we did it first in 1975 right here. So, yeah, yeah I've, and uh, then we can talk about the four Brian Pillman memorial shows. Mm-hmm. Yes. 98, 99, 2000, Let's talk about that. Did you? No, no, let's go ahead and talk about it. I mean, uh, oh, I, I've you heard said of it. You bought that because it, that 20th anniversary anthology is out with all four of those shows. Oh, well, I haven't bought it yet, but uh, let's talk about it. I mean, obviously that was your idea. It was, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I had a lot, believe me, I had a lot of help. Those shows, yeah. they, it, it, in, in 98, we figured I'd go do one show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just started growing yeah. from that point. Uh I uh, I had uh, Benoit and uh, Jericho were going to be my main event. Mm-hmm. Of course, Steve Austin had been Brian's tag team partner and, and dear right. friend. He was going to show up. Uh, Tammy uh, Sonny was yeah. coming, and so Dave, and talking to Dave Meltzer, he said, "You know, all you need is an ECW match, and you you got the three big." And I thought, gosh, I hadn't thought about that. I had never met Paul Heyman at the time, yeah. but. Uh, Candido and I were buddies from him working Smoky Mountain. Mm-hmm. So I called Chris, and so I ended up with stars from all three companies under the same roof at wow. the same time. Yeah. No one, and you couldn't get that anywhere else in the world, no. Brian. Uh-uh. And we did that in 98, 90, and it grew in 99. It grew again in 2000. That was the, if you haven't seen it yet, it's out there on uh, Benoit Riggle classic match from 2000 Pillman show. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, we raised $120,000 for the Pillman family over the four shows. Oh, wow. And uh, it was the only place in the world you could see ECW, WCW, and WWF slash WWE yeah. all under the same roof on the same night. Yeah, I'm really surprised that they allowed their guys to, to do that. I know they're the two bigger ones at the time, WCW and WWE. They, I know they have a lot of whole lot of constraints on those well guys. you know what i i i, I want to think and i and i don't i can't reach and pat myself on the back i'll leave that up somewhere. uh <laughs> that part of it was because they trusted me with their talent yeah that i wouldn't screw things up right right yeah and uh but yeah and those shows were blow i mean the the guys worked for nothing right they came i mean uh yeah. the, the three big companies paid the airfare we put them oh, up wow. in the hotel, fed them, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, and those shows, there were uh, pictures with the photos with the stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had auctions, J.R. Stetson, Delos, chest protector, uh, Flair's robe, uh, woman's gown, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there was so much going on at these things. And, and yeah, uh, you can if you go to uh, com. Uh, that uh, four disc set is f- over 15 hours of content, okay. a lot of sp- a lot of extras, but it covers all four of the shows and and how they grew. I, I mean, the one we did the first one, it was in uh, Norwood's Junior High School gym, which is where Brian went to school. Okay, and we moved from there to Cincinnati Gardens, and then to the, the St. Xavier Fieldhouse, and on a, you know the yeah. shows just took on a life of their own, and wow. so yeah, so all these things I'm. I'm pretty proud of, and uh, so yeah, I want that damn ring. (laughs) I don't blame you. You sound like a very creative person as well, not just in the ring, but you know, with your your you know, creating T-shirts, creating shows. 
Creating well, you concepts. know what? And some of the stuff that I've done in this business has just almost been by accident. Yeah. Now, as as a kid, one of my suppressed desires, I guess, was to be a, a 50s rock and roll DJ, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I just thought that was one of the coolest things in the world. I don't know if you ever watched the old WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, yeah, Johnny Dr. Fever. Johnny Fever, I, yeah. This is cool, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, and I'd done a little, bright, when we built the drag strip in Cincinnati, uh, there was a, a club called Southern Ohio Time Association. It was a group of hot rod clubs, of mm-hmm. which our club was a member. We built a drag strip in Cincinnati. And uh, so I, I did... Uh, the tower as the, the tower announcer for a while, you know, calling the races and stuff. So yeah. I, once I met Gordon Soley, I thought, damn, this is the best. Because yeah. I realized back in the 50s and the 60s, uh, a lot of your wrestling commentators were just the local kitty show host or news guy. or So yeah. they weren't necessarily wrestling fans themselves or yeah. necessarily even qualified to call a wrestling match, right? Yeah. They were just local celebrities yeah. who got 50 bucks or whatever it was to do, do a one-hour show. Yeah. And so when I finally went to Florida in 67, when I was uh, made the NWA Rookie of the Year, um, yes. I met Gordon. And besides, we had racing in, in common as well because he was part owner of the uh, Golden Gate Speedway in St. Petersburg. But uh, anyway, uh, I thought I'd like to try this sometime. Yeah. So I was wrestling for my uh, for a former tag team partner and neighbor in Charlotte, Rudy Kay, who was promoting in the Maritimes up in Eastern Canada, and he said, "Come on up and wrestle for me in in the summer, the season for 1970." So I was up there doing that, and his um, uh, yeah, spit it out, Les. His lead and now was his only <laughs> announcer was a, a guy from Toronto and had a death in the family and had to go back to Toronto. So. Uh. Um, we're living in Moncton, New Brunswick at the time, and Rudy calls. We're wrestling in Moncton on Monday, Halifax on Tuesday, and Halifax Wednesday mornings where we did TV. Mm-hmm. So he calls me, and he says, uh, we're just talking in generalization. And finally he said, you know, when we were running them down the highways in the Carolinas, you uh, talked about how you might like to uh, do wrestling play-by-play. Uh, play. And I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, now... When you pack for uh, Halifax tomorrow, bring a sport coat and a tie. And I said, "Why?" And he said, "Because you're going to be my my television commentator." And Rudy and his brothers were known as Rivers, right? Yeah. And so the first thing I'm thinking, uh huh, right? I'm going to I'm going to bring dress clothes. I'm going to get all dressed up and show up at the TV station. They're going to say, ah, we fooled you, right? Yeah. So he, But he finally convinced me, no, unless I'm telling you, this is a fact, you know. My, my guy had to go back to Toronto. He's going to be there for a while. Yeah. So I ended up, it was by, you know, basically by accident. Yeah. And so I had never, I, I had been interviewed on television, but I had never seen a format, never, never cued in or out of a segment in my life. <laughs> And I started that Wednesday morning in Halifax in 1970. Wow. And so I, it was, I was a natural at it, I guess, or good at it. Yeah. And so he finally came to me, and after a couple of weeks, he said, look, I'm going to leave him in Toronto. I want you to finish out the season. I'll pay you extra over and above what we've talked about, your, your guarantees for wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so I finished out the season. He wanted me to come back. Uh, the following year, and, do, and again, and work in the office and, and produce the television, help write it, and so forth, so on, and 
just work in the office, but I only been wrestling 10 years at the time. Yeah. And I still had a few bumps or a lot of bumps left in me, I guess. And yeah. still had things to, you know, to, to prove to myself. So right. I, I passed on that. So ended up, uh, coming back, uh, Nash in the national office and down into Florida. And from there, Danny Miller and I, uh, Crockett's uh, Charlotte was looking for a number two baby face team behind mm-hmm. Becker and Weaver and uh, the bookers in Tampa recommended Danny and I. So, and I, but we'd both have worked the territory in the past. So anyway, yeah. we go in and one day I'm in the office talking to Mr. Crockett, this is Jim senior. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord Littlebrook is there who had been up in, in the Maritimes with me in the summer. Right. And Brooks says to Mr. Crockett, uh, why aren't you put using Les? I can't do the English accent. Why aren't you using Les on mm-hmm. your on your TV, Mr. Crockett? And Mr. Crockett looked at Brooke and he said, "Well, Brooke, he's on my TV." No, no, no. I don't mean as a wrestler. You know, he was Rudy's commentator uh, in the Maritimes last year and just did a great job. And Mr. Crockett looks at me. He said, "I didn't know that." Why you? T-? I said, "No, I didn't think you cared." <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's how I worked into doing something with him, right? Yeah. And so that grew, and so, you know, I ended up uh, uh, being lead broadcaster on the B, at the B show there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I started handling, coordinating all the interviews. And then when the war in Atlanta, I moved to Atlanta for a while. Gordon and I uh, were the broadcast team for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Okay. And then back to Charlotte, and then in here. I went from se- from 74. Four, November seventy four to November seventy seven, I was jumping back and forth between Knoxville and Charlotte. I had an apartment oh, wow. in Charlotte. My week could start there. I, um, <clears throat> I'd wrestle a couple, three nights a week there. But like I had a, my own cubicle at the office, <coughs> and I'd go in and George Scott and I and Gene Anderson would sit down and go over all the interviews that we were doing in Raleigh on Wednesday and to coordinate those. And I'd make up my cheat sheets and this and that and the other thing, and wrestle a couple nights, do our TV on Wednesday, come back into Charlotte uh, on Thursday, Friday morning, get on a plane to Knoxville. Ron picked me up at the airport, have lunch, go to his house, lay out the TV, wrestle in Knoxville Friday night, uh, Knoxville TV on Saturday morning, uh, spot show wherever on Saturday night, back on the plane to Charlotte on Sunday. And this mm-hmm. went on from November 74 to November 77. I was passing wow. myself in the air, Brian. There I go. Here I come. <laughs> right. But I loved every minute of it. And yeah. the Crockett's gave me creative freedom with the promos, or George Scott did. And, and I had creative freedom in the magazines there. I had creative freedom with the television here. And I was tickled to death. I mean, yeah. I was. It was, yeah. it was great. So. But that yeah, like... and, and well, the television thing, uh, Ron needed something done, and, and I filled yeah. the bill with the T-shirts. We filled the bill with being a broadcaster. You know, yeah. it's just kind of being a right place. Well, as a trainer, uh, yeah. I was doing competitive bodybuilding till I was from age 46 to age 54, and training mm-hmm. bodybuilders, working with uh, pro performance in Cincinnati. We worked with pro bodybuilders and pro athletes. Anyway, uh, Bob Harmon, who was the original beautiful Bobby, a Cincinnati boy, mm-hmm. <coughs> called me and <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. and said, "I have uh, this is guy's got a wrestling school here in town. I didn't even know this." 
and he's got some idiot as a trainer, and he's got to get somebody that knows what they're doing uh, so, you know, he can keep his doors open because these guys may start leaving because this guy just is a complete fool. And I'm listening, and so he, I said, okay, uh, question. Why are you telling me this? Yeah. You're that guy. I said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm no, I, you know, so he talked me into going to one of their shows and it was the first independent show I'd ever seen. And I yeah. was, I was horrified. My business yeah. has come to this. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, saw this guy go out and get a chair and I could tell by the way he was holding the chair. He didn't know what, didn't know what he was doing with it. And he right. cold cocked his, his opponent and left him uh, basically, he was out on his feet so I, I lean over to Bob, who's but sitting between myself and the guy that owns this school and this promotion, and I said, that kid doesn't have a clue what he's doing with that chair. He could have, you know, I'm sure he, he cold-cocked him. I said, how long has that kid been wrestling? So Bob leans over to the guy that has a school and comes back and said he's been to, like, six practices. I said, my God, he's got no business being in a match, never mind using a chair on somebody. Yeah. So I made up my mind, okay, I'm going to try this. So, and thank God, I fell in love with training and, and ended up opening my own place, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. So, but yeah. all these things basically have just fallen in my lap, baby, you yeah. know, or, or come around by accident, you yeah. know? Opportunities, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's great. Uh, I want to talk to you, you know, you were, you've been honored a few times, uh, I've read that you at Cauliflower Alley Club awarded you their uh, Art Abrams Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005. Yes. Now, you also, if I read correctly, uh, you were on the board of directors for there for a while. Is that correct? Yes, I was for a couple of years. How, yes. did, how did you did you enjoy that? Uh, I, I would have enjoyed it more if it hadn't been so political, to be okay. honest, quite honest yeah. with you. Uh, yeah, I, well, Harley and I ran training camps out there for four years as well. Okay. And, uh, they kept getting larger every year and then they shut us down. That was, was a whole political thing as well. I won't get into that right. whole thing, but, uh, so what, you know, uh, we started the first, first year we did that. I think mm -hmm. we had around 20, maybe 25 kids. Okay. And the last year we did it, we had 70. Wow. And, and and the other good thing about doing it at, at Cauliflower Alley back then is, hey, here's Harley Race and Les Thatcher running this school. And mm -hmm. uh, Scott Casey, because he and Nick Bockwinkel had a school in, in Vegas, mm -hmm. Scott was helping out. But then he, Nick Bockwinkel comes by and throws in his two cents. Here comes Jack Briscoe. He yeah. throws in his two cents. Yeah. Here comes Danny Hodge. So realize all the people that are in that you know, at that hotel during those four days. And so to, to get a shot at listening to, you know, sitting in front of all those learning trees at yeah. the same time was great. And, oh, and but yeah. it politically, it ended up cutting our legs out from under us. So, oh. you know, it was, and, and it's, <laughs> the horrible thing is the wrestling business is there's always, that's, the thing that I hate, if if I if you want to use the word hate or disgusted with or mm -hmm. don't want to be a part of, right. is the friggin' politics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. If I do something right, pay me the pay me a good fee and let me do it. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't want to kiss your butt, and I don't want you to kiss mine. Yeah. Uh, and like, well, you know, the magazine things that I did with the Crockett's was basically because they gave me my head. I mean, yeah. And, and, and don't get me uh, don't get me wrong, Brian. I make a mistake at least once a day. <laughs> I'm a human being, right? You know, so I don't do everything right. Right. But I know my guidelines, and, and I look at it from working the territory days. Whether I was doing magazines and TV and wrestling for Crockett's or whether I was doing the same thing in, in Georgia for them or, mm-hmm. or here for Ron, I'm a hired gun. Yeah. You pay me right, and I'm a, lo- I'm a loyal employee, right? Yeah, right. And, yeah. and I'm going to do the best I can, not necessarily for you, but for me, right? right. I, I, I've got a reputation I plan on protecting as best I can. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I the the corporate politics are even worse to yeah. me. You know, well the boss's wife has dyed her hair red. This everybody's wife better get red hair. Right? <laughs> Come on, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, that 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 stuff just doesn't interest me in the least. You know, yeah. it's hire me to do my job. Right. And a funny conversation in '85 when Vince was just starting to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his thing into uh, global power. Uh, George Scott was booking for him, you know, and George mm-hmm. and I had a great relationship in the Carolinas. So they called me and flew me t- uh, up and I went to Stanford to sit down with Vince and, and mm-hmm. uh, George and, and they offered me uh, to come in and oversee all the promos and all the interviews and coordinate them. And, and of course, at that time, those were done every night in soundproof tents in the back of all the coliseums, you know, and you oh, okay. might be out on the road, uh, hell, eight, nine, ten days at a stretch. Right. And um, the offer was great. Uh, you know, the money was good. It was, there was, in, you know, hospitalization and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but my dad had just passed away a couple years before. Yeah. I was living in Knoxville. My mom was just four hours away up I-75 in Cincinnati. And they wanted me to live in Stanford. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that kind of, you know, shut the deal down. I was involved in a couple of other things, projects. Yeah. So I, I, I turned them down because, well, they said, well, you move your mom to Stanford. No, I can't because she doesn't know anybody in Stanford to start yeah. with. Had, had they allowed me to continue living where I was at, yeah. and, and I probably would have taken the job, you yeah. know. But I, I passed on it, yeah. and... Uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, did you ever work for the uh, AWA, American Wrestling Association? I wrestled for him a few times. When okay. when Kirby and I were in Kansas City in 63, mm-hmm. uh, we went up there and worked a few TVs for him. Okay. Uh, when Okerlund left AWA to, to go with Vince, mm-hmm. uh, they called me. Yeah. Uh, Jack uh, Lonza. Uh, called me. He was booking for Vern at the time. I was I was living here in Knoxville, yeah. and offered me. Uh, he said, "You know, Gene has jumped to Vince," and I said, "Yeah, I'd heard that. We're looking for a, a lead announcer to play by play, and we thought, you know, your name came up. We want to make you the offer." Mm-hmm. And I said, "You guys are taping every week, right?" And he said, "Right." And I said. Well, I'd get off crazy flying me in every week. Oh no, we want you to move here. I said, "Well, then that's." <laughs> That's the end of that deal. Yeah. <laughs> I have no desire to winter in Minneapolis. I, 
I, I I've been there you. in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> have noticed, I, you know, yeah. I just, you know. Uh, I, I understand was, the winters there are rough. I, I'm from Wisconsin right next door. Oh, so okay. I, I, I understand you, it perfectly. I, yeah. I live in Missouri now, but when well, I was a know, kid. Well, you know, I'm an Ohio boy, so I'm not, you know, yeah. uh, unfamiliar with snow. Right, right, right. But uh, the difference between Cincinnati and Minneapolis is, yeah. It's about a foot and a half, I think, <laughs> deep. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just, and parking my car at the Minneapolis airport, and I find out, okay, you got to plug your engine block into a heater. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm good in Cincinnati or Knoxville, whatever. But, yeah, yeah. that was, uh, so, you know, I've had good, op- I've, I've enjoyed my run. I truly yeah. have, Brian. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I've left a good legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm oh. proud of my body of work. Yeah. I don't think any one individual thing that I've done would make me a Hall of Fame candidate, but I think collectively, yes, uh, yeah. and I'm not afraid to say so. Well, I'm 100% agree with you, and I'm sure the people that are going to be listening to this on the podcast would agree too especially when they go and look up who you are and what you've done. Uh, you should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago, uh, in my opinion and probably an opinion of a lot of people. So if I had a vote, I'd say you're in. But Well, thank you. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I do not. But uh, if, I ever, if I ever hit the lottery and I can afford all you guys that are willing to vote for me, I'll, <laughs> You'll do it. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll buy you membership into the Hall's Voting. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. So one last question, then we'll we'll let you go, sir. Is what are you doing now? What kind of projects are you working on? Well, I'm getting more. Well, I, I've been doing training camps, right? Of course, okay. with the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Doctor uh, Tom Pritchard and I did a, a a weekend here in Knoxville. It's been like what well, two years ago this past August. But okay. I'm available if someone would. I mean, I still can run weekend training camps. Okay. Um, they can reach me less thatcher 28 at gmail.com if they're interested, you okay. know, and I'll send them out all the information and everything. Okay. But right now I'm getting involved with well, Ron Fuller, who we work so well together yes. here, you know, during the seventies or Southeastern championship wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Ron's moved back to the area and he has a YouTube channel now called Southeastern rewind. Okay. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, you can catch he and I on there, uh, most Fridays, or it's posted Friday or Saturday, I think, mm-hmm. we do a rewind review, which is, he's putting up a lot, he's put up some of the Southeastern shows from here, we don't, he didn't save a bunch, sorry to say, but yeah. he came back here in 98, mm-hmm. or in 88, excuse me, uh, and started USA Championship Wrestling here in Knoxville, so mm-hmm. he's running that show uh, earlier in the week, and then he and I are sitting down and just kind of picking it apart, you know, and talking yeah. about it, why the angle, why that storyline, yeah. how this is working, uh, you know, break down the booking for, you know, whatever reason, okay. and analyze it a little bit and, and pick it apart some, you know? Yeah. So, and, and so he does a weekly stud cast, right? Uh, talking about, yeah. you know, he was a Tennessee stud, but anyway, yes. so starting October the 13th here in Knoxville, okay. we're going to be doing a evening uh, live stud cast at Calhoun's on the River, which is a really nice 
barbecue, uh, they're noted for their barbecue, a nice restaurant right down by Nayland Stadium here at the University of Tennessee. And the restaurant's very famous in this area. Anyway, we're doing a Wednesday night. We're going to start doing the second Wednesday night of every month. Oh, okay. uh, Two-hour awesome. live stud cast, uh, right. dinner with the stud. Yeah. Uh, the first hour will be his normal stud cast. The second hour will you know, Q&A with the fans who are in attendance. Okay. Uh, they get their meal, uh, autographed picture of Ron and I. We're going to oh. give away door prizes, which some of the door prizes will be uh, wrestling collectibles. And um, Q&A session. Uh, yeah. Dinner is uh, the uh, Calhoun's Barbecue Buffet with coleslaw, beans, barbecue with all the different flavors, you know, quality mm-hmm. of sauces, iced tea, uh, lemonade, also a, a, a cash bar. And okay. it'll be for two hours from 7 to 9 at Calhoun's here on the river starting October the 13th. And if you're interested, you can go to tnstud.com. That's Ron's website. Okay. And click on Stud Store okay. and make your reservation there. It's 30 bucks, okay. which covers your meal and, and everything, right? Wow. So That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think so. Well, the meal yeah. is uh, – their, their food yeah, the is, is exceptional. And um, – Plus, you get the, the autographed pictures and the, the chance to, to win some of the door prizes and stuff. So we're going to do that uh, October and November. This and Skip a December simply because of the holidays right. and start back in January of next year. But then next June, Brian, yeah, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the first weekend, we yeah. are uh, doing Southeastern Memories, uh, celebrating the history of Knoxville's pro wrestling, which goes back oh, – wow to John Kazana's promotion, who, is, who Ron bought out. And the yeah. first man that I wrestled for here in 1968 was John Kazana. This is going okay. to be at the uh, historic Jacobs Building in Chilhowee Park. Jacobs okay. Building is where we started wrestling back then. And uh, it's going to be, you know, a fan fest. There will be yeah. matches on Sunday afternoon, but there will be, uh, you know, memorabilia. Uh, you know, tables selling merchandise. There'll be uh, Q and A sessions. There will be uh, photos with the stars and so forth, and so on. Yeah. And that's going to be June three, four, and five of next year. And of course, we'll oh, put wow. more ads out about that. Yeah. But uh, so I'm I'm kind of involved with all these. It's, it's fun to be back. Ron and I always uh, we're more than just working uh, yeah. relationship. You know, we're buddies and and yeah. we've been friends for fifty years. So. So it's fun working with him. I, he gives me my head, and I, I pick at him, and he picks at me. And, but, yeah, so those are the things. And like I say, I'm still available to do uh, okay. seminars and weekend training camps. In fact, I want to do them. I, I tr- okay. truly do. So. Well, f- well, folks, you heard that, uh, and I'll put that, Les, I'll put that on the, on the description at the bottom when this gets posted here soon. And... Uh, I want to thank you again for coming on, uh, taking your time today, and I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot. I'm sure the fans that are listening to this have learned a lot, so we really appreciate it. Thank you very well, much. Well, I, I thank you for having me, Brian, and I hope I didn't bore everybody to death. No. But we're talking no. about my favorite subject in the world, yeah. and that's wrestling, not me. But, yeah. but wrestling, no. is, you know, it's been no. my life, and, and, and I enjoy it. So, yeah, we can do it again sometime. Oh, you bet. And yeah. if you're going to be in the uh, – you get down out of that wintry cold, survive <laughs> it, and, and come on down and, and join us next June for the uh, Southeastern Memories. I, I may take you up on that. I'll have to talk to the wife, and I'm sure by then 
uh, we'll, we will looking to go somewhere. So yeah, definitely. So I appreciate it again, everyone, Mr. Les Thatcher. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Appreciate it. And Bye. go ahead, sir. My, my pleasure, Brian. It's, All right. it's, it's and, been fun and thank you for yeah. having me. Oh, you bet. And please folks, if this is your first time listening, subscribe. We've got more stuff and thank you again, everyone. And Les, we will talk to you soon, sir. Take care. All right. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the <coughs> World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was a hell of a champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do with this? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history.